Hello, and welcome to the Still To Be Determined podcast, the podcast that follows up on topics from the YouTube channel Undecided with Matt Farrell. I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a writer, and I'm the older brother and interrogator of Matt Farrell. With me is Matt. Say hello, Matthew. Hello, Matthew. Before we get into the episode, we'd like to give a thanks to a supporter of the podcast. We've received some anonymous donations. So anonymous, thank you, whoever you are. We greatly appreciate all the support you've given us. You did that last time too, by the way. Yeah. (laughs) Because I believe we do greatly support ourselves. Ourselves. (laughs) But I'm trying to thank other people. We do have a way for our listeners to directly support the podcast. You can check out stilltbd.fm. There's a link on that page that will take you to the cookie jar that we let you drop some quarters in when we're not looking. Today, we're going to be talking about Matt's most recent episode. This is from March 9th, 2021. And it asks the important question, is geothermal heating and cooling worth the cost? Heat pumps explained. Yes. And I'd like to make the point now that heat pumps is not intended to be dirty. So (laughs) if anybody out there is offended, that's on you, not on us. A couple of comments on our last episode that I wanted to touch on. We received some feedback from people like Doug Jesse, who agreed with us that it's not about the tool. It's about what you do with it. He wrote, we can currently self edit memories, mostly unconsciously. And he thinks that PTSD sufferers could get some relief from Neuralink progress. But just like rockets, he thinks, which could be used as ICBMs, technology is not about the use. It's about the laws and the ethics around it. Thanks so much, Doug, for jumping into the conversation. Yeah, I agree with that sentiment, by the way. Yes. You can say the same thing about nuclear energy. It's like the nuclear bomb, but we also get incredible amounts of energy from it, too power our lives. So there's a good and a bad to it, depending on how you use it. And sometimes the, the bad very often shapes the discussion, which can then negate the perception of the good. It's very hard to think having a nuclear reactor a few miles away from your home is a good idea. If you've seen any kind of mushroom cloud in a movie that is depicted as a devastating, uh, weapon of destruction. Yeah. Under the new episode, we're talking about heat in the earth and also the power of cooling from the earth. It's one of the things I liked about your episode is you pointed out something that it took me, I mean, literally into adulthood to recognize that ice is not making the water cold. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that refrigerators and freezers are not somehow forcing coldness into a thing. They are, in fact, extracting heat from the thing. Yes. And once you understand that that's what's going on, it's kind of a moment. Yeah, it's kind of a, oh, everything starts to click. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You're not forcing cold into the thing and making it frozen. You're extracting the heat, which is in some ways more fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> like, like you're sucking so much heat out of that thing. It's now freezing. And there were a number of your commenters. There was a very lively discussion 
amongst your commenters who have geothermal uh, setups in their home. Yep. A couple of your viewers from Canada, somebody from Sweden, and they were talking about the different styles of geothermal that they had. And one guy in particular mentioned that he has a vertical setup mm -hmm. and it goes down 200, I think he said 200 feet um, into bedrock. And so I just want to get a better understanding from you what exactly is happening. The fluid in the system is starting, let's say it's summer and it's starting in the house. It is taking <clears throat> the heat from the sun baked house, the ambient yes. heat and the tubing would run through large portions of the flooring. I would assume through large areas, maybe of a wall or through the roof. Where would, where would this piping go in the home? It basically be any kind of system, like the systems that you and I grew up with, the, you know, forced air systems, they're just pumping air through uh, ductwork. Mm -hmm. It could be that, where it's literally just taking the hot air from the house, running it across essentially a heat exchanger, which transfers that heat into the liquid that's in the tubings that gets shunted down into the earth to cool off, to come back up again. It's the same exact principle that's in your radiator of your car, mm -hmm. or if you have a liquid cooled PC, it's like, it's the same basic principle across all these things. It's just using the liquid as a very efficient means of sucking the heat out of whatever you're doing. So it's usually taking hot air, running it across basically a heat exchanger that pulls it out. Is the heat the, exchanger the look something like a radiator? Does it look something like? It could. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Like in my, I have a liquid cooled PC and it's like, there's literally just a radiator that you're just blowing air through and the liquid that's running through the radiator is absorbing the heat that's then getting shunted out. You know, it's, it's just, it's the same principle. It's, is it it's, more helpful then to think of it as heat stabilization? Because what you're depending on is the earth's at a, at a certain point, I forget how deep it is. It's not that deep, but at a certain yeah. point, it's below the permafrost layer where you would, exactly. you would get into the temperature doesn't really change. Correct. And you're just relying on that consistency to be the heat or cooling effect on whatever fluid you're running down there. So it doesn't matter if you're putting cold water or you're putting hot water down there. You are going to, it is going to average it out to. Yep. And I forget what the temperature is. Is it somewhere around 68 degrees or something like that? It's it's in the 60s. It depends on where you are, but some places it might be 62, some places it might be 68, some places it might be 59. It's like it, it varies based on where you are and how deep you go. The right. deeper you go, the more stable the temperature becomes because it's it's less um, affected by the surface temperatures. Right. That's why it's like if you don't go deep enough, you're going to still, you'll, you're going to be impacted by the middle of winter. It's going to be colder than it should be. But if you went really deep, it's going to be a stable 62 all year, all year round. Right. So you're right on the money for how it works. Right. And the, I thought it was interesting too, the, the model that incorporated a pond, which I could see yeah. how that would be especially useful for real estate that might be near a lake or, or, you know, like lakefront yep. property or, um, in more rural settings where you would have the ability to maybe even put in a man-made pond where you could do something like that. But again, it goes, it has to be deep enough 
I, I yep. thought about some of the times where you go into shallow water and it's actually like bath water. I'm like, you wouldn't want that you know? in the middle of summer where it's effectively then heating up your, your home. I wanted to go into some of the comments that you received on your video. Pickles mentioned, I'm surprised you didn't mention some of the other benefits of having the system, like it preheating your hot water tank and thawing out your driveway and or patio. Are these things that you came across in your research? It is. I was, it was one of those, you know, trying to keep a video somewhat focused so that you're not going off on these tangents. And sometimes I oversimplify things. Sometimes I leave interesting things like that out. But one of the examples I came across that was so cool and made me want one of these systems is that tubing, that liquid is basically running through the HVAC system, providing the hot or cold air for the house. And then the excess heat that's not used runs into a basically a separate <laughs> water, uh, hot water tank that's not actually hooked up to anything. It's just there as a holding tank for the cold water coming in from outside. And then the excess heat is used just to warm that water, not to full hot water, but it takes it from being cold tap water to something that's lukewarm, which means and then that water then goes into a second water heater that actually is the one that's heating the water. And it has to work less hard to go from right. lukewarm to hot than from cold to hot. So by doing that, this one homeowner saved something like 60%, 70% of his energy that he was using to heat water in the first place just right. by using the excess from the heating and cooling system of the house. And I was like, right. that is the coolest thing ever of being able to tie these systems ever. together. Oh, Sean. Uh, see what I did? Uh, yeah. Yes, I see what you did. But it's really cool how you can tie these things together and make it work like one large organism where you're not, you're not giving up that waste heat. It's essentially right. like, yeah, I have a video coming up on Sterling engines and thermal energy and turning that into mechanical energy that you can use to create electricity. It's like my, my furnace, which is natural gas is giving off a ton of heat, which is used in my home, but then there's a ton of waste heat that's coming out of that. It's like, if you could tap into that in some fashion, right. there's like lots of cool things that you can do. Or warm things you could do. Oh, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Delkis wrote, combined with photovoltaic? Photovoltaic. Photovoltaic. Okay. There you go. I think he misspelled it then because I was trying to he, pronounce a word that doesn't exist. Yes. Geothermal heating slash cooling is one of the greenest and cheapest home temperature management systems. What is photovoltaic? panels is that just solar panels solar panels okay yeah and i pointed up like that's the universal yes before. <laughs> it is God. solar panels yeah <laughs> <laughs> this was a interesting comment which like the respondents to it immediately started to it it was a comment that immediately had weaknesses to it but it is mm -hmm. an interesting thought, and I wanted your, your thought around this. Maximilian Montserrat wrote, what would be the economics of multiple homeowners installing a single larger underground loop for all of them while maintaining separate heating units? And people immediately began to respond saying, you'd be locked in with if one of your neighbors was not doing the right thing with it, that they could effectively sabotage the entire, the entire system. I thought of two things in response to his comment, which was in a very different model of 
home construction, neighborhood construction, you could do something where you would have a mass system like this built for an entire community that everybody would benefit from a large system that might be more efficient than a single, than a single system for a single home. Would that be something that I don't know if it would scale easily or well doing that. It, I mm. can see it working in like a town townhouses. Like you have a row of like three or four houses that are one building. Right. I could see something like that where there's like one massive system that's built that supplies what is needed for those four dwellings. But I just don't know if it would easily scale for something larger than that. Um, I'm not an expert in that, so I don't know. But my instinct based on what I found is no, it would not make a lot of sense. I think you'd have to do it more individually because the system might have to be so massive <laughs> to be able to support right. that. that and that, the, that was the second part of my question to you was, is there a model of this that is used in larger than homes size buildings? Something yeah, along I was the coming lines across of an things. office was, building or yeah. even something like a mall, something that would be a bigger development. Yes. Yes. Okay. It's like I was coming across things like that, that there you can use this for whatever you want, but the scale, it it's just has to be a massive system to be able right. to supply a large building like that. But geothermal systems are used for office buildings. I was coming across those. And part of your expense in the system and part of the efficiency in the system is dependent on how far you are pumping liquids, how far that... Yeah. You might need more pumps to cover a larger area or lose some of that efficiency by simply yep. the the pressures of the system itself. And you mentioned yeah. the longevity of the systems is good, but if you develop something in a pipe where you would have a crack or something like that, there could be environmental concerns as well. If you're not using water, I think you mentioned that there's some of these systems use a different liquid Mm -hmm. you wouldn't want that leaking. And if you had a larger system, that could turn into a catastrophe. Yeah. I mean, there are companies that make systems that use basically just water. So if it did leak, nothing bad's going to happen. Um, there's downsides to that because, you know, there's freezing that could happen. There's, you know, contaminants in, in water. So there's different things you have to do to make sure that it was going to work properly. But yeah, you, it, in a large setting, it might actually be multiple smaller geothermal systems that combined together work as one big hole. I always keep coming back to like PC heating, uh, PC liquid cooling. Cause it's like, I've actually been doing this. It's like, if you're building a small computer that had, that you just want to water, water cool a uh, CPU, you only need a small radiator and a small pump. But then if you have, you're doing two graphics cards that get really hot and a super hot, you know, CPU that you're going to overclock. It's like you suddenly have to get to much larger radiators, more powerful pumps. There's more tubing going on. So you're having to move more things. The way it scales, it just becomes larger and more difficult to manage. It's doable, but it just increases costs. There might be diminishing returns. There's a whole host of things you have to account for. Right couple of the other comments that I thought were interesting. Will Be Free wrote, and this is one of your viewers from Sweden, I've never heard of geothermal energy taken from a loop so close to the ground. In Sweden, we usually drill 100 to 250 meters deep into the bedrock. That's incredible. And yeah, that's first of all, it's incredible that they can get down that far 
in a residential setting. I always think of yeah. like, if you're going to be going that deep into the ground, you are running a mining operation. This is, yeah. but the reality of being able to go down that far. But I think it's a statement about um, the different environments where people are building their homes. Some people might not be within that range, even that range of bedrock. So yeah. thinking yep. of of some people who might be in areas where going down too deep, they are going to hit underground streams and water sources or it's just going to be shale as far as you go it's there's there's no telling what uh where the listeners might be who might be in different environments where bedrock would never be reachable and it's it's going to vary the cost like depending on what you're hitting and how how much drilling is complicated (laughs) you know you're drilling down you hit some kind of object that makes it really hard to drill through. And so that's going to increase the difficulty and the cost of drilling in the first place. So it's one of the things that came up in the video, which was costs vary greatly depending on what you need and what it takes to get you what you need in the area that you're in. It's one of those, there's no easy answer. There's not like, oh, it's going to cost you about this much. That's how much it costs. It's like, no, well, where do you live? What do you need? What's your house use? What's in the ground where you live? It's like, there's a whole bunch of, problems that have to be tackled that cost cost various costs this comment from martin smith made me wonder about some of the cost impacts of old home versus new home costs for this Mm -hmm. kind of system martin smith wrote i installed geothermal a couple of years after adding solar energy to the home my overall cost structure went from 4500 per year to heat, cool appliances, electrics, and gasoline down to $1,000 per year. Whoa, that's crazy. That's a astounding amount. That's like 75%. That's a little Drop. bit more than 75% savings. Um, and that, I assume, I mean, it's, it's, he says he transitioned to that. I was wondering about the difference between if you were building a home from scratch and you were planning on putting in a system like this, is the cost of putting in a system like this less? Because you talked about installations for homeowners where the home already exists and people would Mm -hmm. have to be doing things like digging up a yard or laying a coiled system under an existing area where there's currently not one. But if you were developing from scratch, is that going to lessen the cost? Is that the sort of thing that somebody who's building a home needs to possibly consider right out of the gate that spending an extra $10,000 now might save them $5,000 a few years down the road? I I didn't come across anything that would have pointed me in one direction or another explicitly for that question. But based on what I was seeing, the answer would be no, because the biggest part of the cost is drilling or digging those holes for the the tubing and whether the house is new or not, or old that doesn't affect that at all so it's like the biggest part of the cost is just the drilling mm. so the system itself is not that bad cost wise and so it would be no different than just changing out your furnace the question comes in how what are you paying now for your current heating like where i live i'm using natural gas which is very cheap and if i was using oil and I wanted to, and my, my furnace was getting to time to change it out. The cost benefit for going from oil to geothermal is there. Like you will save over, you know, eight to 10 years, enough money that the system will have paid for itself essentially 
going from gas to geothermal, the differential in co- in running costs is much narrower. So it, it's a harder cost proposition, but it's not a it's not a difficult decision as far as like my house already is established, installing it is difficult. It's not that. It's more the cost analysis side of it. It's more what are you currently using? And if you're building a brand new house, you're not using anything. So you can come in fresh and say, I'm just going to start with geothermal. I'm not going to start with natural gas. I'm just going to straight to geothermal. So that, that I think the equation is more on the cost side, not the difficulty side. That makes sense. The last comment I wanted to point out was John Wickrink, who I think had an excellent idea for getting the word out about this. He said, great video. Now all we need is Drake to reference geothermal in one of his songs to really get this moving (laughs) rather than just us echo energy nerds on YouTube. Yes. I like that. Yeah. You just build it into the song where it's like started at the bottom over here and then the pipes bring it up and cool it over there. I mean, it's, it's, it lends itself to it. It It writes itself. itself. It's, I I barely even had to work at that. Yes. It's going to be a hit. Transitioning to the second half of our episode, as usual. Can I just say, if anybody out there that's listening to this does some audio mixing and music, take what Sean just did and create a song out of it, please. I think that, (laughs) yeah, so we'll play it next time. It, It writes itself. Yes. And you could use that in the loop. Transitioning to the second half of our show, as I tried to say before, Mm -hmm. before I was rudely interrupted interrupted mm-hmm. you talk about a few of the movies or tv shows that we are using to pass the time and matt i'm flipping a coin you want to call tails. it tails tails okay it's still in the air tails you sticking with tails i'm sticking with tails all right it's heads you lose i have to go okay all right wanted to continue with the Polly Platt filmography that we've been watching in my home. And the most recent episode of that was broadcast news, which was a movie I felt like I had seen because it is some, our, our parents are big uh, film buffs and, and Matt and I grew up watching a lot of movies with our parents, talking about movies with our parents. It was always something that was just in the air around us as we grew up. Mm-hmm. And this is a movie that I, for some reason, had always thought I had seen. And as I was watching it, I realized I've never seen this. And it was a, another of the movies that Polly Platt worked on with um, James L. Brooks. And this one stars Holly Hunter, William Hurt, and Albert Brooks. And Albert Brooks and James L. Brooks are not related. I threw a little bit of sleuthing online, discovered that Albert Brooks is a uh, stage name. He adopted it because his given name is Albert Einstein. (laughs) I didn't know that. Yeah. You can see why he did that. (laughs) Yeah. And I also discovered that, uh, do you remember Super Dave Osborne? Oh, yeah. That's Albert Brooks's brother. Wait, what? Yeah. I had no idea. That was my response. That was... (laughs) That's incredible. That, I had no that idea. That was my response. It was just like, wait, what? What? <laughs> but broadcast news uh, is uncanny to watch now, considering when it was made in the 80s, it 
accurately foresaw the development of the online cable news era becoming what it did and what it is today, where appearances drive the story as opposed to stories driving the news. Mm -hmm. Um, Fact and fiction are being blurred in order to sell us things. And it is depicted through a love triangle between Holly Hunter and William Hurt and Albert Brooks, where none of them are really a villain, but all of them are very human. They all have failings. And it's a very well-told, realistic story of three people who are hurting each other despite good intentions. And Albert Brooks's character in particular stands out as the nice guy who thinks he deserves the woman that he loves just because he's nice. Mm -hmm. And when he doesn't get his way, he turns vicious. William Hurt plays the guy who seemingly is vacuous, but is actually very tender and very loving, but he lacks ethics. And when it comes to portraying a story in a certain way, he cuts corners in order to be able to, in his own words, sell that story. He's a salesman. He's selling trust and he sells trust by cutting corners. And Holly Hunter is driven and a perfectionist with such high ideals that she is, she lacerates the people around her through her expectation of perfection and it's it's an excellent movie and it is it turns funny just like most of james l brooks's uh movies there's a a level of writing and storytelling that's going on that few people can actually achieve and he does it in an strangely quiet way which is is really uh to be to be applauded so i highly recommend it i'm sure it's not um, I'm not breaking any new ground there by recommending broadcast news, but it was the next in the the list. So, yeah, I haven't seen that movie since it. Not I didn't see it in a the theater, but I remember watching it on HBO a bunch of times mm. and really liking it. I thought it was a very very good movie. Yeah. The other two things I wanted to mention really briefly. Uh, I'm catching up now on WandaVision. I've started watching that, mm-hmm. and I'm three episodes in. <laughs> and I appreciate the pace at which things have started to roll out and the reasons for the slow pacing of the very first episode slightly picking up the pace in the second episode and then things finally hitting their stride in the third episode mm-hmm. i understand why they had to do it that way so mm-hmm. I'm, and, I'm, and yeah the, the fourth fifth sixth it like ramps up to crazy town and it goes to places where I wasn't expecting. It is, I, f- I finished it and yeah. man, I loved it. I thought it was so, so good. They, they didn't quite stick the landing in my opinion. I'm, mm-hmm. I, I look forward to talking to you about that when mm-hmm. you finally do get there, but it's still very good. The ending's still very good. Um, there are some interesting turns that they do with some of these characters that we know and love from the movies, but that we don't, no, because yeah. we didn't have time to get to know them in the films like right. Wanda and Vision. We know them, but we don't know them because yeah. they were only given 
seconds and minutes on screen together. And so we didn't really get to know their relationship in the show. We get to know their relationship. We get yeah. to know more about them as people. And it's, there's some really awesome stuff coming up. You're yeah. It's going to Disney <laughs> with Marvel, Disney with their Marvel properties and the development of the, the television versus the movie uh, storylines is being very smart in modeling it after what has been done for decades in the comic book yes. industry, yes. which is something that was a misstep for decades in the movies and television industry, which was they would look at movies and television as separate things, but they would try to do the same thing in the movies and television. And you can't do the same things in movies and television and Marvel Disney with the Marvel stuff has cracked the code and said, why are we trying to do the same thing? We should treat it as the different levels of storytelling within the comic books themselves, which is you have a monthly book about a character and then you have your big epic crossover storylines once a year where all the stuff hits the fan from all the different characters at once and everybody is effectively camoing, cameoing in everybody else's storyline. And you have those big moments of here's everybody on the same page and you get those mm -hmm. gigantic splash pages where you're reading the book and you open it up and you see 50 heroes and 50 villains clashing on the page and you just are so excited for that all coming together in that moment and for them to have said that's the movies we're doing the avengers we're doing these big like captain america he's a tentpole character scarlet witch is not going to be a tentpole character but she's definitely a character who has an interesting story to tell and that coming out in a television series, which is going to be on a smaller venue with a episodic nature going to tell that story better than ever trying to tell this story in the movie. So I could, I couldn't I disagree with you it. more. I could not disagree with you more. It's not that it's a smaller story. Once you finish this, Sean, you're going to see what it is. It's a movie that just happened to be. I don't mean a smaller story. I meant a more personal story. She's not the character who's she's not the character who's going to but draw I, people in because she doesn't have the name recognition. I yet <laughs> you got to finish the show. All I can say is you got to finish will. the show because there there is a clear line that they in this one series just set up the next ten movies. Okay, it's like there is stuff that is coming out of this that you know there's. They're planting the seeds of so many possible storylines coming out of this one show. That's where I'm like, I disagree. It's like, I don't right. think Kevin Feige, who's, who's Kevin Feige, who oversaw the Marvel movies is now also overseeing the TV shows. Yeah. And so he's looking at the TV shows just like he looks at the movies where they're not separate entities anymore. And so he's not looking at it as different mediums. He's just looking at, okay, what's the stories we're going to tell? How are they going to interweave? How are they going to foster each other and so it's like the the line has can be completely blur blurred between tv and movies and they're just telling the stories in the way they want to tell them and then picking okay this would be better for a tv show because we can take the time to spend over here and this would be better for a big temple movie it's like that clearly is what it feels like but when you say she's a smaller character i don't think she's going to be anymore it's like they're they there's something about the show which i can't talk about that's just like it feels like they're setting her up as more of a tentpole character. Same thing with Vision. Vision, what they've done to these two characters, you've taken two side characters that are B-roll characters, and by giving them the time they need to grow and for us as an audience to get to know them and, and make connections with them, 
they're now no longer small characters to me. Right. They're, now they're they're big characters to me. So it's like I could totally see a big temple movie with, with Scarlet Witch. It's like it's that's what's so brilliant about what they're doing. And not to go so far off in the weeds here, but there's an interview with Kevin uh, Feige where he talked about how when he was a kid reading comic books or watching movies and you know how a sequel to a like batman and then batman returns it's like the sequel always sucks compared to the original one he and his friends would rewrite them to mm. fix the problems with those films and like in their backyard film them right so they would refilm the scenes like this would make it better when you understand that's how he thinks Right. Suddenly you're going like, okay, Age of Ultron, they tried something in Age of Ultron. It didn't quite work. It was kind of a thin movie. It didn't quite hit. And then you watch WandaVision, you go, they just made Age of Ultron a much better film by what right. they just did in this show. And so suddenly it's like he basically retconned Age of Ultron into a good film. I actually because saw it's like, something from somebody <laughs> online making that argument. Yeah. And it was, I didn't go into it, but it was, it was exactly that. It was WandaVision fixed Age of Ultron. Here's yes. how. And I was yes. just like, oh, that's something for me to revisit after I've finished the show. So I'm interested. Yes. I am very excited about getting to the end of it. I'm yeah. also excited. This has made me excited for the other TV shows that were, com that are coming that yeah. I hadn't yet had excitement around. So yes. in particular, there's, uh, the Falcon and Winter Soldier and there's, um, the Loki show and, yep. and I'm interested to see what those, what those do. Exactly. Uh, the other thing, the last thing I wanted to talk about was a documentary, which is by Soleil Moonfry and it's called kid 90 and it's available on Hulu. And it is a documentary made up of video that she shot. She was as a kid, she was punky Brewster Matt and I grew up in that era of watching shows like that. And she, from a very early age, started carrying a video camera around with her everywhere she went and filming herself and her friends just doing whatever. And she has hours upon hours of these. And she, she said she was a journaler and a videographer and she did it for years and years and years and then she put it all away and now 20 years later she's unearthed all this stuff and she's been going through it and rediscovering stuff about herself and so it is a kind of documentary memoir which i thought hmm. was actually very very interesting it is at turns funny and um gives a kid of that era an opportunity to look back and sort of laugh at our own youth. And she's definitely doing that as a child who grew up in the television industry. She has a very particular place mm -hmm. in her perspective, which is the harshness of that industry. And she growing up went through a lot of difficulty around developing into a woman. She developed physically very, very quickly. And she ended up having breast reduction surgery because she was so endowed that it was, um, there was a point where it was clearly hitting her psychologically. She was 13 years old and she was being treated as a woman by men in the industry. And I didn't remember some of the roles she portrayed in her mid teen years. She was on shows that I did watch they showed some clips from those shows and she was being used as just basically a pair of breasts for 
other characters to ogle. And there was a shot that was, it was kind of heartbreaking to see it being done in this show, but it was an episode of the wonder years where she was being used as the object of desire for our, uh, Fred Savage's character. And it was really, it, it's one of those moments where you see how the industry is using a young girl and saying mm-hmm. like, th- this is, it's disgusting. It's really, it's really tragic, but her growing up in the industry and the small circle of people who she knew who were also in the industry are all on camera in these videos that she did. So it's her filming people like Mark Paul Gosler and David Arquette and Brian Austin Green. There are a few moments with um, actors and, and people who were in the industry from a very young age who've continued to be in the industry. And there's a lot of people who ended up burning out and in some cases dying as a result of drug and alcohol abuse and suicidal tendencies. And she's looking back at all this with what did I miss? What did I not see was happening right in front of me? And a lot of it revolves around a child being unequipped to see that kind of thing, that a child's view of the world doesn't include that kind of caretaking or ability to recognize it. So it is at turns a melancholy view. It is also a one about growth and, and embracing of adulthood and having to let go of some of childhood, but then having the opportunity to look back at childhood and reclaim some of her sense of who she was and reclaim some of her sense of self. And this has all happened at a time when just recently and the timing of the release of this documentary is clearly tied into this there is a reboot of punky brewster that is coming on peacock and it is the the desire for a reboot of that is for me like okay everything old does not have to be brought back you know we don't need a bj and the bear reboot um but her looking back at this time to look back to those days is it makes sense. And it's, it's a very, um, I found it to be a very honest and very touching public statement from somebody who's been in an industry for a long time and went through a lot of trouble and went through a lot of other people's lives that ended up impacting them in deeply tragic ways. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting seeing her in conversation with some of the actors. There's a lot of Brian Austin Green in it. There's a lot of David Arquette. Um, some of these these people who we know still as working celebrities who are still in the industry, but are looking back and saying like, yeah, I'm really kind of lucky that mm-hmm. I managed to get out without more bruises. So I recommend it. It's very short. I think it's about an hour and 15 minutes long, but I think it was it was worth watching. I enjoyed it very much. I'll have to check that out. That sounds right up my wheel, right in my wheelhouse. For me, um, there's a, I keep going to Apple TV Plus, which is, it's funny for a, net, a series of TV shows and movies that's like still super young. I think that they're far better than people are giving them credit for. Um, there's a show called For All Mankind from Ronald D. Moore, who is one of the former writers and producers from like, the Next Generation, which I grew up with and absolutely love. He did the reboot of Battlestar Galactica, which is fantastic. And this is his newest show, which is 
such a cool concept. It's a science fiction show that's like an alternate reality of a what if the space race never ended and uh, basically the Cold War with the Soviet Union kept going. What would it have done to our space race of going to the moon, going to Mars, going out? And how would those changes have affected our history? How would they have changed our technological advancement, our societal advancement of like equality for women, equality for um, minorities? How would it have impacted everything as things would have unfolded? Because when you have something like that as the, the instigator of change, those other things come get dragged along with it. And there's so much potential for amazing change from it. And the show, evidently the plan for his show, it's, it's going to go over span decades. And the show, when it finally hits its end is going to be, we're going to be a full on space race. <laughs> like we're going to be out there, multi-planetary species at some point, which is really cool to know that the show is going there. This is just the beginning. And like right, right now the show is in season two is what we're in right now. And it's, the 1980s and it's such a good show the characters are so compelling and it's still very similar to where we were at in the 80s but not it's like it's like the diverging is happening very slowly and it's it's we're getting to the point now where it's the space shuttle and we're starting to see where the space shuttle program was supposed to have gone they're actually going there and so mm. it's like, this is where the gap is getting bigger and bigger from what we experienced growing up into now full on fantasy. And it's so cool. The characters are fantastic. The acting is excellent. The writing is top notch. The production quality is through the roof. I am, I am loving every aspect of this show. Um, and my wife who loves the show can never remember the name of it. She always talks about, Hey, do you want to go watch the moon show? <laughs> <laughs> It's like, it's like, eh, it's not the moon show. <laughs> it's this for all mankind, the space show. Uh, it's, I, I highly recommend. It. I love Ronald D. Moore. He is a very creative guy. I don't think he's always stuck the landing on his series. So I really hope he can stick the landing on this show because it's, it's the first two seasons are just top notch. I highly recommend it. Hmm. That sounds like a really good hard sci-fi series. It is, but it doesn't feel like it. And, it doesn't feel like it. That's yeah. what's so cool. And 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 the thing about hard sci-fi, hard sci-fi sometimes has a hard time finding its footing in yeah. television. Um, splashier urges end up taking over and and diluting what the the harder aspects of the the hard sci-fi could be. There's a lot of character in it. That's what I'll say. It's like, it, it's, I don't want to call it a soap opera, but there's a lot of drama and intrigue around the characters. So it can pull you in emotionally with connections to the characters. And then for hard sci-fi geeks like myself, there's enough of this background lifting that storyline up of this underlying where the space race is going, the technology is involved and how it's impacting our history. It's just so, so cool. It's such a clever, clever concept. That sounds really great. Yeah. Our listeners should tell us what they think. If any of you have checked out that show, please let us know. Let us know if you agree with Matt. Also weigh in on the Marvel conversation that we had. Do you think I'm way off base in how I felt about the WandaVision? Do you agree with Matt about whether or not it's basically taking something that's too big for a movie and, and putting it up on the screen? No spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> 
Don't forget that we have a way to directly support the podcast. You visit stilltbd.fm and you'll see the support the podcast link there. And we appreciate all of our listeners. We appreciate all responses, comments, likes, subscribes, and the donations to support us are a part of that large cloud of support that you all provide us. So thank you for that. Please be sure to give us a rating, review, and share us with your friends. All of that really does help the podcast. The podcast helps the channel. The channel helps Matthew. And then Matthew says, E-I-E-I-A. Isn't that the international organization that does something to certify? The EIA. Yes. Yeah. I couldn't help but think there should be a rural equivalent to that, which could be the E-I-E-I-O. There's a long way to go for that joke. They have a farm. <laughs> the EIEIO. <laughs> this is and what on I have that to farm. Live with. They have some <laughs> geothermal heat. <laughs> this is, the EIEIO. This is what I have to put up with, folks. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time.